If you grew up in church, you most likely heard this story uh, as a kid, the story of Jonah. Uh, You may think, well, it's about this guy who uh, got uh, swallowed by a fish, or was it a whale, or whatever it may be. Uh, But to really ask the question, which we're going to this month, is what is the book of Jonah really about? Is it about uh, a guy who was just disobedient and got swallowed by a fish? Is it about uh, race issues? Is it about uh, struggling to trust and obey God? Is the book of Jonah about uh, the need for repentance from self-centeredness and hypocrisy? Is the book of Jonah about God's universal authority and Him being sovereign over all things? Is it about God's grace? Is it about God's mercy? And I would say to all those, yes, you see all of those themes and all of those points uh, within the book of Jonah. But we need to know and see and understand that the book of Jonah is about a man uh, who is struggling to accept God's grace and his mercy towards his enemies, uh, towards such an evil, wicked city. It's the story of a rebellious prophet who Really, in some sense, seems like he hates God for, for God pouring out His grace and mercy upon uh, their enemies, the Ninevites. Um, and when we read any book in the Bible, whenever we study uh, the Word of God, we also have to ask the question, how does the book of Jonah fit in the whole storyline of redemptive history? And one of the things you will see in the book of Jonah is Jonah is a foreshadowing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll actually spend some time this month looking at what Jesus says about Jonah, pointing to this being something that is actually historical fact. Um, I brought a, a, a mirror with me this morning, and I want all of you to get a mirror this month or uh, get, a, get a small one. I brought this one. I think there's a makeup mirror, though, so it's like zoom in on you here. Um, but I want you to think about this month. Um, in the book of Jonah, you're going to see that Jonah has all kinds of heart issues. I want you to ask the question, look in the mirror. Jonah has that heart issue. Do I have that heart issue? I want you every day this month to join me, read the book of Jonah. It literally takes 12 minutes or 15 minutes, depending on how fast if you listen to it, on a, on, your, uh, on a device or put the CD in, you can sit and read it. If you're like, hey, I'm not going to read the whole book, it's four chapters, then read the chapter one this week, every morning or day or evening. And I want you to look in the mirror and ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, do I have that heart issue going on in my life? Or maybe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal you some heart issue that you have that he uses that maybe Jonah didn't have, but God uses his word. And so I want you to get a mirror, or maybe some of you got those big, huge mirrors for, you know, when you get dressed up and you see yourself, go put your chair in front of it and just read in front of the mirror and then ask yourself, you know what, what about me? What is God trying to teach me from the Word of God? If you turn to Jonah, we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. And the big idea is this, as we look at chapter 1, God is sovereign and will even use our rebellion. To accomplish his will. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing for the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of God. Father, we pray and ask that in this moment, this morning, you would turn the mirror upon us, that we would learn from your word, that we would learn from Uh, the story that is here and the um, facts and the, the things that happened in the life of Jonah, that we might ask the questions uh, if we are living uh, like Jonah responded. And so, Father, we ask that you would work in us, that you would point us to uh, your grace and mercy uh, through your son, Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal truth to us and how to apply this in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look this morning, um, again, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And as we look at verses 1 through 3, we want to look at God's mission and his message for his chosen messenger. And when you look at Jonah and when you look at him, sometimes you might say, I'd never be like Jonah. Uh, But again, pick up that mirror and ask yourself the question, how am I acting or being like Jonah Pray and ask God to reveal to you uh, the things that uh, he would teach you from his word. 
It says in verse 1, it tells us a little about, about this guy whose name is Jonah. The messenger, in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And so we ask the question, who is this guy? We know that Jesus talks about Jonah uh, a number of years after Jonah. But Jonah is also mentioned in another Old Testament book of the Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It tells us that uh, he prophesied during the reign of one of the evil kings of Judah. And it was also during the time of the other prophets of Amos and Hosea and uh, Micah. If you look at those Old Testament books, just preceding him was uh, the famous prophets of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, the Word of God tells us that there was a, these uh, schools of the prophets, which uh, possibly was about the time where Jonah would have been growing up. And maybe he was a part of these men who were trained, who were prophets of God. But Jonah was definitely a part of a group of men who are favored by God, in which God gave them His Word. And like verse 1 says, Now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Word of the Lord uh, coming to Jonah is consistent. As God spoke through all the prophets, it says the Word of the Lord came to whatever prophet for them to declare that message to others. Well, when you think about the Word of the Lord coming to a person and think about the Word of God, think about how powerful the Word of God is for us even today. It's not something just for the prophet Jonah and the prophets of the Old Testament, but that the Word of the Lord is important for us today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, speaks of the Word of God and says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why we spend time in the word of God. That's why I'm encouraging you to hold up the mirror. That's why I'm saying pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the intentions of your hearts. Just as uh, Jonah had certain intentions in his heart and the way that he acted, verse 13 of Hebrews 4 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah was called uh, to obey and to follow what was given to him, but he chose not to do that. We see in verse 2, there's a mission that's given to him. It says in verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh. Sounds real simple, but it says that great city and call out against it. A simple mission, simple instruction. Yes, the city uh, of Nineveh is about 500 miles from uh, Jerusalem, from where they're at there in Israel, but uh, simple instructions that are given to him. This is the mission. But we need to ask the question, why would God choose Nineveh? Why would God tell uh, Jonah to go all the way over there? Were they so wicked and so evil? Aren't there other wicked, evil cities in and around Israel? Well, what do we know about Nineveh? If we read through the Old Testament about the city of Nineveh, if we look at archaeology and history about Nineveh, uh, Nineveh was a great city. At one time, it was a capital of Assyria. And when the Assyrian Empire, during that time period, it was one of the great cities. We know in 
Jonah chapter 4, it says at the very last verse, there's over 120,000 people that live in the city of Nineveh. We know from, I believe, chapter 3 of Jonah, where he's going through the city, it takes three days to cover all the sidewalks and all the streets in the city of Nineveh. Again, it was located in the Tigris River, about 500 miles northeast of Israel. It was huge. It was powerful. But the people living in the city of Nineveh is the question we really need to ask is why to those people? Because the Assyrians, they were the ones who, they were uh, 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 relentless to people when it came to war and to battles. You read historically the scrolls and the clay things that they made. They would not only ransack cities, but they would just decimate and kill people. And the people they took captive, I can't even repeat to you the stuff that I've read about what they would do to torture their people, that are the people that they would take as captive. And they uh, worshipped three main uh, gods. One, Ishtar, was, was, was the uh, goddess of love and war. But they also worshipped a fish goddess named Nanshi. Okay, hey, chapter 1, verse 17, a fish there. Uh, they also worshipped a, a god named Dagon, or Dagon, which was half man and half fish. But these people were infamous for their violence. Uh, they were infamous for, for their cruelty towards other people. And those are the people that God said to Jonah, go to those people. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that Nineveh, uh, the Ninevites and, and the people in Nineveh, the Assyrians, and what they did to the nation of Israel, uh, these people were enemies of the nation of Israel. These people were enemies of Jonah. And so it kind of helps us see uh, maybe some of his responses. If you read the book of Nahum, uh, you can read about 100, 150 years later how Nineveh falls and how this prophecy against Nineveh, it's in uh, Nahum, I believe, uh, chapter 3, but it describes the people there. Why would God be interested in sending Jonah to the enemies of Israel, a wicked, wicked group of people. Jonah would probably be like the other Israelites would say, those Gentile dogs, those people, they are our enemies. They're not covenant people. Well, if you go back to Genesis, if you go back to, to when God spoke to Abraham and, and in this covenant with Abraham, He said that through Abraham and Abraham's seed, all the nations would be blessed. So yes, the enemies of the nation of Israel as well. But when we read from Genesis to Revelation, when we read the word of God, we understand and know, especially as we studied the book of Ephesians last year, that God has a plan and he has a will and he's going to always accomplish that for his glory. And so one of the things that we have learned in God's word together in the last year that is that God will, uh, by his plan, declare his message of grace and mercy and repentance to his people in every nation. It's very clear from God's word. And I would direct your attention to Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, <clears throat> a verse that um, Another day, we probably need to spend some more time that gets misused and abused uh, repeatedly. But it says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, helping us understand God's will and God's plan. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you read through the whole chapter and you see that he's writing to the believers and he's writing to the church, it helps us understand God's will and also why God is sending Jonah to Nineveh. It's that his message of grace and mercy and the need for repentance would be declared to the ends of the earth so that God's people would come to faith and they would repent of their sins. But let's think for a minute. Who are the Ninevites in, your, in our lives? Who are the Ninevites in your life? Uh, think about it for a minute. Those unpleasant people, those disagreeable people, those uh, crazy loud neighbors, uh, those co-workers or schoolmates that we just cannot stand, that are so mean-spirited, uh, those people that are at the store and you're checking out and you say, hey, how you doing? And they're the most grumpiest people in the world. Uh, who are those Ninevites in our lives, that if you have faith in Christ, uh, that you're called to go and declare the gospel to them. Think about all the Ninevites, the enemies uh, against uh, Christians today and against uh, uh, you. Who are those people that we are called to go just as Jonah was called to go and and preach to? The message that he's given is also in verse 2. And it says, call out against Nineveh, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. When we get to Jonah chapter 3, we'll see in verse 4 that he goes to the city, simple, simple message, and says, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be wiped out. I mean, at least that's what was recorded in Jonah chapter 3. It doesn't have any great description of him standing up in front of the whole city and preaching for a few hours. Or It just says, hey, in 40 days, the city is going to be wiped out. And if you think about that message, there is no difference in Jonah's message and in the message of John the Baptist. And then the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. There's no difference between Jonah's message and the message of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the churches. There's no difference in the message of Jonah and the message of Jesus Christ. And that is the fact that we are sinful, wicked, evil people. And God is holy. And he's called us to repent from our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. There's no difference. Jonah says, you're going to be wiped out in 40 days. The message for all of us is the same. You're going to face eternal destruction in hell if you do not repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the message that Jonah was called to go to the people. Repent of your sins. Or you'll be destroyed. What if God called you today, if you're a Christian, to go and preach a message of repentance to Muslim terrorists? Oh, those people, they can go to hell. They've killed Christians. They've blown up churches. And the list goes on of all kinds of things. Well, I wouldn't go to them. God, why would you send us to those people? They're never going to believe in, 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 in Jesus. <clears throat> They're wicked, sinful, 
enemies, and they're enemies of the United States of America. That's just one example. But think about the Ninevites in our life that God has called us to go and preach the message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, repentance from sins, belief in Jesus. And what are the excuses that we place before us uh, keeping us from that? Some of them may be some of your family members. Some of those people, those Ninevites, might be someone that you've known for years and years in your life. And you're like, they're never going to turn to believe in Jesus. How do you know their heart? <clears throat> Jonah knew that God was gracious. Jonah knew that he was a God of mercy. And Jonah knew that if God called people to repent and they would return, they would repent from their sins, that God would forgive them. And this is the reason why he runs from the Ninevites. Uh, one, he hates them, and he does not want them to be saved, is what seems to be when we read this, because in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, if you read Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is ticked off. He is angry. It's like he's forgotten that God saved him from the depths of the ocean and death. Uh, and he's so angry, God asked him twice, do you have any right to be angry? At one point, he's like, yes, I'm so angry and I have every right to. And the real reason is because he's ticked off and mad. And it's almost like he hates God for showing grace and mercy upon his enemy. And so I asked the question this week, did Jonah really not want God to extend grace and mercy to the Ninevites? Of course, Jonah did not want that at all. And so I used to think that Jonah made a mistake. I used to read Jonah and go, oh, he made a mistake and thought he could run and get away and hide from God. Not at all. I mean, that's what we think. He was trying to get away, it says, from the presence of the Lord or literally the face of the Lord. Jonah knows he can't get away from God. What's been made clear to me over the years is that, God, that Jonah knew he could not hide. He just blatantly disobeyed God. He just ran to get away from what God had called him to do to preach the message to the Ninevites. And so what he does is he's really, in a sense, committing mutiny against God. And, who's, and God is the true captain of the ship of our life. And so when we look at verse 3 through 16, we see him going down and getting on a boat, and we see this uh, mutiny on the high seas as the second point. Look at verse 3 through 16. As he goes and he leaves, um, again, God's very clear. Go and do this. Go speak to them. Instead, he makes a run for it, not to hide, but to just get away from the presence of God. We see him as a God-fearing rebel in verses 3 through 10. Jonah, being a prophet of God, knew God. And he knew uh, the truth about God and God's word. He most likely knew Psalm 139. If you look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God's word is clear that no one can hide or flee or run from the presence of the Lord. It's something that helps us understand uh, what we believe about God and one of his attributes is that God is omnipresence, that this omnipresence of God, that he is unlimited to regard, in regards to space because he, he, God created material space. He can't be limited by it because he created it. And so God is present everywhere. And at times, though, we think that we can be like Jonah and get away. But yet God is with us and sees everything and knows everything. Jeremiah chapter 23, another passage which shows us that Jonah cannot hide from God, is in verse 23, Jeremiah 23. It says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? You see, Jonah, he blatantly disobeys God. He knows he's in sin. And so, I don't know, maybe he did think he was trying to hide from God. It doesn't say that. But he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And to think to yourselves, how many times as a follower of Christ have you sinned against God and felt so shamed and guilty, it's almost like you wanted to hide from God. You didn't want Him to see what you were doing. You didn't want Him to even have a glimpse and you're wanting to hide in a cave or under a rock because of your sin. God sees it all. He knows it all. And we're very thankful that God's grace abounds to sinners. But if you look at Jonah's life and you, uh, you read through the book of Jonah this month, um, in chapter 1, as he leaves and gets on a boat to go the opposite direction, as far as he can away from Nineveh, you see his life begins to collapse. He is running from and not clinging to the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. And that's what happens to us when we uh, move away from God's word. You see the word down repeated a number of times. He went down to Joppa so he could leave. He got on the boat and went down into the boat. And then he went down into the deepest part of the boat to sleep. And then he gets swallowed by this fish and goes down to the depths of death's door And it's a picture of a believer when they stop investing themselves in the Word of God. Because when we read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God, uh, we have to then, therefore, make a decision whether we're going to be obedient to it or we're going to run from it like Jonah. But it's clear that not just the book of Jonah, but throughout a number of occasions in the Word of God, that that God is going to use us for His glory even when we rebel. You see this here when the, when, in his interaction on the boat. It says in verse 4 that the Lord hurled a great wind. When you read through the book of Jonah, I want you to highlight, circle, and underline every time that it says the Lord did something. 
Because that's that overall theme of God's in control. God is sovereign. Like that he's in control of the storm that's happening on the seas. That he's the one who sends the wind. It says that he's the one who quiets the the wind and the storm. I don't know if you've ever seen that show uh, before in the past, uh, uh, Deadliest Catch. I remember for a number of years I used to watch that show. And I was always amazed. These guys would be out there and they're bringing all these crabs in. And they'd have these horrible storms and and they're falling all over the place but a lot of times these guys are just talking and they're calm or yelling real loud i'm like man i'd be hiding in the bottom of the boat or being sick or something and these guys are there and i was like thinking about that this storm is so huge that the guys on the ship who probably have seen storms before they think they're going to die so this is an immense storm that keeps getting worse and where does jonah go Goes to the bottom of the ship, the deepest part, and goes to sleep. And I always wondered, like, how did the captain find him? Were they like, hey, where's that guy Jonah? Or was it when the captain went down, they're throwing stuff out of the ship, they hear him snoring in the corner? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but when we run from God and we disobey repeatedly, it actually can get exhausting. And I'm wondering if Jonah's so exhausted because he's not being obedient to the word of God and he's just zonked out. And he is asleep. He goes down and God uses some pagans who uh, seem to be repentant uh, to tell Jonah, you need to pray. In verse 6, he says, arise and call out to your God. And in verse 7 through 9, they're like, okay, we've got to figure out why this is getting worse. Which one of you have caused a problem here? So they cast lots and the lots fall on Jonah. And when you look at verses 11 through 16, uh, you see uh, uh, that uh, these pagans uh, who they worship all kinds of other gods, uh, they come to the point where they uh, are making an act of worship uh, to the one true God. Uh, the sailors, though, are really afraid because they're like, they ask him a list of questions. Again, I don't know how loud the storm is. I don't know if they're down below the deck or the top, but they're yelling, you know, who are you? Or the number one question is, what is your job? What is your occupation? And they ask him all those other questions. Jonah never says what his occupation. He answers all the rest. And I wondered before, how many times has there been an opportunity where you've been in a place and you've had the opportunity to say that you're a believer or a Christian and you chicken out or you feel ashamed and you don't say anything. And then later you're like, man, why didn't I say something? I wonder if Jonah didn't say he was a prophet, but he answered every one of the other questions because he's ashamed. Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God who created these uh, seas here that we're in the midst of. And they're like terrified. But he won't tell him he's a prophet. <clears throat> so they're like, all right, how do we solve the problem? We know you're the problem now. You're, you already told us you're running from God. Verse 12, he says, throw me in. Throw me in. They're like, no way. We're not throwing you in. And the sailors, they try to row and get back to shore. They're like, there's no way we're going to uh, be responsible for your death and your blood. We're not throwing you in. And so... Uh, you know, these guys call out to God and uh, they, uh, you know, they declare that God is sovereign uh, and they're like, you know, forgive us. Uh, and so look at verses 14 through 16. It says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish 
for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I always have been amazed by that verse. The, I mean, they're praying. They're like, all right, God, we're going go, right, to throw him over now, but, you know, hey, can you spare us or whatever? They throw him in. I mean, and to think that this raging storm would just stop. To me, that's just, I just, it's hard to picture. It's, I mean, this thing where they think that they are literally going to die, they throw Jonah in, and the storm ceases, and they begin to worship God. And to think of how many people in this world have been like, God, if you just get me out of this one. You know, it's like people are like in trouble. They're like they, That's their time that they pray. God, if you just get me out of this, I'll do this. I always wondered, did those guys have a life change? Did they ever from that point, did they continue to worship uh, God? Or, or were they these pagans who worship all kinds of gods? And at that moment, uh, you know, but I'm like, wow, the weather, the storm stopped and God saved them. And they worship, and they offer a sacrifice to God, and they made vows. What we see in verse 17 is um, that God is in control. The captain of the ship is in verse 17. That it's not the guy who's on that uh, ship with Jonah. It's actually the captain of the ship is the Lord God. And here in verse 17, it says, the Lord appointed. Again, highlight that circle line. Circle, underline that. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And how you respond to verse 17 actually shows how you respond to the rest of the Bible. Because when you read the book of Jonah and you read uh, what Jesus says about Jonah, we know that this story is not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. The fish is not some symbol. The fish is actually a historical fact. Next week, we'll actually pick up in verse 17 and continue on from there in chapter 2. But how you respond to the fish uh, is how you respond to the rest of the Bible. And I don't want to make the fish a big, huge deal because it's a very small thing in the whole book of Jonah. But if you can believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest miracle, there should be nothing difficult in you believing that a man got swallowed by a fish and lived in its belly for three days and three nights. Yet we live in a world which is very disheartening today that more and more so-called Christians are no longer believing that the Word of God is literal and true, and they'll use things like Jonah and the fish to say, oh, that's just a symbol. It's just some poetic writing. It's just something, you know, it's not true because, oh, look at this fish. Look at that. That's not true. And that may be a small point of their argument, but they added into a whole bunch of things. This is a historical fact. It's true that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. And again, if we can believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then there should be no difficult with, in believing verse 17. But what I want us to close with and look at in verse 17 is the sovereignty of God, that God is all-powerful, uh, that He's in complete control of everything. Uh, nothing happens without 
uh, it being a part of God's plan and his will and him knowing of those things. Again, the weather and the storm uh, that happened in this story here um, is something that God was in control of. I was reminded this week of Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, and God had promised Abraham um, that he would have a, a child, and even at his old age, and, and uh, him and Abraham and Sarah were, were doubting. And in Genesis 18, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I wonder what you have in your mind or your heart over time that even today you may not be thinking of, but it's ingrained in you that you think is too hard for the Lord to do. Or you've already given up on or think that that's never going to happen in my lifetime. That's never going to happen in that person's life. This is never going to change. And that's something that your heart has come up with and not the Lord's. There are times when God, um, He has called us uh, to serve and we disobey. And in our disobedience and our running from the presence and the face of God, He uses that to show His grace, uh, to bring glory to His name. And so even when we disobey, um, God has a plan, uh, and He will work even in our disobedience. That's not to encourage you to disobey. That's to just be reminded that God's in complete control, that some people think that when we see a Christian that is in disobedience, that uh, God's not uh, working there or something's going on, but God's in complete control. And the Lord, uh, as He called Jonah to Nineveh, it's clear that God's uh, compassion is immeasurable. That it's not just for Jonah, but when you read the book of Jonah, that's God's compassion. It's upon those pagan uh, uh, sailors. It's upon those wicked, evil Ninevites that it's clear that God's uh, grace and compassion abounds and that those people benefit from God's compassion upon Jonah. And so here as we close, again, you got to get that mirror out. And I want you to think about this. Maybe just make mirror time every day this year. And wherever we're at, uh, we'll be going to the book of Luke in, in next month and spend time there this year. But in every time you open the Word of God, pull out that mirror and start checking your heart. Is there anything in Jonah's life that reflects in your heart this morning? Are you like those pagan sailors and, and, and you do not believe in God Almighty who's created the heaven and earth? Maybe you worship all kinds of things and today uh, God's calling you to believe in the fact and the truth that God sent His Son Jesus Christ who died on a cross in your place for your sins so that you could be forgiven and that He rose again and He is returning and that there is eternal destruction for all who reject Him? If you're like the pagan uh, sailors this morning, maybe you need to stop and you need to ask for forgiveness and you need to repent of your sins and worship God uh, as the only uh, true God. Um, are you like Jonah, and there's Ninevites out there that you have no desire, no love for, you don't care if they die and have an an eternal destruction set before them. You're going to see those people this week. You're going to see them this year. You're going to talk to those people. And God's called you to show grace and mercy and love to them. Who are those people? As the worship team comes forward, I want you to think for a minute. 
as those who are serving communion come forward, I want you to think for a minute and just be quiet for a moment. Number one is to think as we prepare to take communion, um, are there things that have happened in your life recently, ways that you've been disobedient to, to the Lord, at the same time knowing that when God uh, God's Son, Jesus, died on the cross. You were forgiven of all those sins, past, present, and future. But the need for us to confess our sins. Maybe some of you need to confess sins to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I'm being like Jonah. Jonah's heart issue is the same as mine this morning. Uh, Lord, I just want to confess that to you um, as, so that I can worship you. If you're here and uh, you need to trust the Lord and uh, um, for the first time, then do that. And uh, as I pray, I want you to, uh, if you're a believer, pray for the Ninevites that God is calling you to go to. Father, we ask that in this uh, moment, in this uh, quiet time, that um, you would uh, work in our hearts, that you would uh, prepare our hearts to take uh, this bread and the cup, that we would worship you with our hearts. Would you uh, help us to be reminded, Holy Spirit, of ways that we have grieved you. And uh, we want to confess those things. And we also want to be thankful that you have uh, forgiven us. And Father, for any who would be here that are far from you, that are like those pagan sailors, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We bless your name. Amen.